Good morning. And let me just say, I count it a privilege to be able to bring God's word to you these past two weeks. Also wish, as we all would love to be here to fellowship together. And as we know, we are living in different times. We are living in times where we, as the church, need to ask ourselves, are we desperate? We live in a world where we are all looking for answers. And we are very critical. As we face the COVID-19 crisis, everyone has the answers on what we should do going forward. All while, as we see around the world, kids are still being aborted. All around the world, as we still see slave trafficking. And all these things that we lose sight of what's really going on around the whole world. Because we are all just caught on this one matter. Even in our own country, as we look around, we see all the problems that we have, as we know the unemployment has gone skyrocketed, it's probably higher than it's ever been before. And so the question for us as the church is this, what do we do? How do we go about times like this? You see, the first thing that we normally do, sometimes as Christians, and let me say this, I'm being very transparent because if you're like me, you are very critical during this time, and you would like to see things get back to some sort of normalcy. You would like to know what's going on. You would like to know what is the next step? What are we going to do next? We are all there, I am sure. But the problem for us as believers is this, is that we have the source that we can go to. We have the source of the all-power and sovereign God that controls everything. And we know this. Even last week, as we talked about, he is our ever-present help in time of need. But yet we forget this so much because we want to try and fix the problems on our own. We think we have the right answers instead of going to Christ himself. You know, if you're anything like me, and, and I'm sure you are, when you see a press conference coming up, you're wondering what is going to happen next. You know, even this morning talking to Jude as he is trying to get off to go away, he wants to know what is the next step? What can he do? And we don't know until the next press conference. But let us not lose sight. Let us not lose sight of our hope in Christ. Let us not lose sight because I think sometimes we as a church, we know better. But yet we do what the world does. We worry. We try to be critical. We try to critique every decision made. And we are negative. But we have a hope in Christ. In fact, I think as this morning as we look at God's word, we want to look at and say, what do we need to do as a church? And as was read, we need to go back to the beginning of the church. We need to do what the disciples did. In 1857, Jeremiah Lafayette, a businessman, was burdened over the spiritual condition of his day. He did not complain or try to seek answers from a human perspective. Instead, he knelt in the back room of a small church in New York City with a broken heart and had a simple request to the Lord. Lord, what will you have me to do? After saying this to the Lord, God birthed in his heart to a beginner businessman's prayer meeting at noon, one day a week for an hour. 
His invitation simply said, come when you can and leave when you must. On September 23rd, 1857, the first prayer meeting was launched. And as he arrived, he sat alone and he was the only person to show up. And he did not leave and give up and say, well, God, what are you trying to do? Or what do you have me doing here wasting my time? Instead, he prayed, and after a half an hour, someone joined him. And at the end of the hour, there were six people that had joined for the prayer meeting. The next week came, and there was 20. And by the week, it was 40. By January 1858, three months later, they were meeting in a building using three floors at the same time. By March 6th, by March, 6,000 gathered daily in New York, 6,000 in Pittsburgh, 2,000 in Chicago, 4,000 in Philadelphia. Meetings were also held in Washington, Baltimore, Cincinnati, and New Orleans. By May, 50,000 people in New York had trusted Christ for salvation. A newspaper reported that in New England, several entire towns had come to Christ, meaning there were no unsaved in those towns. It was estimated that for a period of months, 50,000 people a week were accepting Christ across America. By early 1859, 18 months after the first prayer meeting, one million people had accepted Christ in the U.S. And the population, they say at that time, was around 30 million. I ask you, as the universal church, do you think that this is something that we need today? Do we need to gather together and pray? And I would say the answer for all of us should be yes. We as a church, we need to get together and join together and pray for our country. Pray for the spiritual atmosphere of our country. Yes, we could look at all the physical needs and we could see those things, but we need to pray for the spiritual needs of our country. J. Irwin Orr said this, No great spiritual awakening has begun anywhere in the world apart from united prayer. You see, revival is a word that we like to throw around. It's a word that we like to hear, and we see all over our country sometimes where we see this place is having a revival, and they, you know, come out to this revival meeting. But I think that we need to understand revival is bigger than just one meeting. Revival happens and starts with us individually and us as a church that we pray first. It's not about a meeting. It's about how do we get together and we pray for God to do something great in our churches, for God to do something great in our country. You see, when we look at the world, we are in a desperate need of a move of God. And we as believers need to stop talking politics and start getting broken over the people that we know need to experience Jesus Christ for the first time. The only hope that we have is the gospel of Christ. This is the hope that we have. This is what we need to be sharing with people during these rough times. And the good news for us is this, is that the same God that has done revival over revival over many years, and the same God that was in Acts is the same God that we worship today, and we can call on today. But I think sometimes we have gotten so busy in life that prayer has become something that is almost not as important to us 
as believers. And when I say that, let me just be transparent. I am talking, first of all, to myself. Because I think sometimes we are just like disciples. As they, as Jesus went up and prayed, that we grow tired and weary. That we don't give him the time that he wants from us. And like I said last week, we have an opportunity now to be still and know that he is God. That we can get in a corner and we can pray. But as we're going to look at this morning, we need not to just be in our little circles alone, but we need to come together united and pray together and ask God, what is it that he wants us to do? As Jude read in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it talks about how Jesus now is getting ready and he's, and he's given the disciple, this is what I want you to do, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He's saying, look, start with home. I want you to start with the Jews. Start with Jerusalem. Go out and preach the gospel. Tell them about me. Tell them about the great things that you have seen me do already. You know, I want you to imagine for a second that you are those disciples. That you have walked with Jesus. You have seen the miracles. You have seen the power. You have seen everything that he has done. And now he's telling you, I'm going to leave. What would you do? How would you respond? I can imagine a lot of us respond in a way of, really, are you serious? You're going? So what are we going to do now? How are we going to live? What are we supposed to do? You walk with us. You showed us what to do, but now you're going. I, you know, we would be like, are you finished teaching us now? Is everything done? Let us not forget in John chapter 16 how Jesus ta- told his disciples that this day would come. And it says this in starting at verse 1 in John 16. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Again, this is Jesus' words as he's getting ready to face the cross. And he knows what's going to happen. He knows that he is going to face the cross and he is going to die for the sins, for our sins. And when we consider this, and we consider the passage that he talks about, and he starts off and he says, look, you may even have to die. The question is for us this morning, are we willing to die? Are we desperate enough to say, whatever it is, God, you are calling me to do, I am willing to do. You see, these disciples, they walk with Jesus. They talk with him. They saw him. They did everything with him. They did life with him. But he says at the end of this chapter, these verses, he says, it is to your advantage that I go because I am going to send you the helper, the Holy Spirit. 
You see, until Jesus left, we could never have the Holy Spirit living in us at all times. We could never experience such power as long as Jesus was here in the flesh. J.D. Greer says this, Most Christians, however, do not relate to God as if he is a dynamic personal presence in their lives. Jesus made some truly astounding promises about the Holy Spirit. One so astounding, in fact, it is tempting to not even take them seriously. He told his disciples that if they understood what was being offered to them in the Holy Spirit, they would have been glad he was returned to heaven if that meant getting the Spirit in John 16, 7. Having the Spirit in them, he said, would be better than having his bodily present beside them. You see, today, if we ask the average Christian which of those two options they would choose, the Spirit inside of them or Jesus beside them, would most even hesitate to choose Jesus? Doesn't that show you how far we are from grasping what Jesus was offering to us? The Holy Spirit makes the presence of God real to us, a presence that gives us joy in 1 John 1, 3. Intimacy in Romans 5, 5. And victory over sin in Galatians 5, 16. He enables dynamic ministry by placing good ideas with God ideas. End quote. Again, the concept is that we should be glad that we have the Holy Spirit living in us. We are better off now than when Jesus walked the earth because now the Holy Spirit lives in us and dwells in us. Wherever we go, we are a representation of Him. So here it is. Jesus has given and, and the task has been given to the disciples. I want you to go and preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. Which brings me to the verse that I want to focus on this morning. As we consider what the disciples already knew the task. They knew the task was to preach the gospel to the world. And here it is, as we see in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. And it said, As all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. You see, the point number one is that there was a desperation and hunger to see God move. Again, as we break that verse down, we see in the first part, all of these with one accord. The key word is all. And all, as we know, means all. Everyone. Everyone had one goal. Everyone had one goal. And this is what we're going to do all together. I want you to imagine for a second, and I'm a, I'm a sports person, but I want you to imagine as we consider a football team. I want you to imagine the quarterback calls a play, and the lineman says to the rest of the lineman, look, I don't really like the play that the quarterback's calling. And because I don't really like what he's doing, I'm going to let the defense just run and, and sock him, and I'm not even going to worry about what's going on around us. What would happen? Well, but what happened is, again, it would show that the line is not cohesive. They're not playing together. They're not doing what they're supposed to do. And so now they're going to let one of their players get sacked in the quarterback. You see, this sounds today like a lot like the church. Because the church itself is not unified. We are not one accord. We are not one you see, we call ourselves believers and we call ourselves the church, yet we don't protect the rep reputation of Jesus Christ. 
You see, we have the hope and power of Christ living in us through the Holy Spirit, yet we do more harm than good. You see, I think sometimes as we consider, as we look at the book of Acts, we see all through that this was what God wanted. This is what God intended in the church, that the church would be unified. We see in Acts 2 and 4 so many times that the church was one, that there were no, you know, people would sell their possessions to give because everyone was on one accord. I ask you, what has happened to us today? What, what have we done? Why are we in the church have so many different factions? Why aren't we unified? Why aren't we pursuing and going out and telling others about Christ? Because this is the goal that we should all have as a believer. This is what the Holy Spirit has done in our lives. And we should want to tell people, this is what he's doing in my life. You see, our Lord promises special power to those who agree together and pray together. The influence of a number of witnesses testified to the same truth is powerful. When the period of waiting was over, was when the Holy Spirit was sent. And disciples began to testify. And they began to tell the testimony of what the Holy Spirit was doing. You see, when we think of, again, as the book of Acts, we think of one accord, it's found 11 times in the book of Acts. So I ask you, as the church is beginning in Acts, don't you think that God intended for us today to be the same? That we would be one accord, that we would be one, that we would be unified? That we would be looking out for one another instead of doing what each one wants to do? And let me just pause here and commend the Kirk, because I know that the Kirk is the church that really looks out for its community around I know that you do a lot of work in Bain and Grantstown, and you see the fruit, and, and I want to encourage you to continue to do that. But also the Kirk can help other churches and show them this is how you do it. And to come and pray alongside of the church and say, hey, how can we help you in this community? What can we do? You know, because I think that that's the problem. The problem is I think sometimes we think as our local churches that we are on an island by, us, by ourselves. But we're not. Because we should all have the same common goal of pursuing Christ and to win others for Christ. I ask you, how would the universal church look today if we were unified how the early church was? Which brings me to the second point. Their desperation to see God move showed in their attitude of united prayer. The second part of of Acts 1 14 said as a cord one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers you see this is a very important to think about as Jesus left and gave them instructions on what to do hey I want you to go preach the gospel I want you to do this what were they doing did they go in the upper room and say well let's start to write a plan and let's try to do what we can and make our own plans. Okay, this is what we're going to do. Peter, you're going to do this. John, you're going to... No. What did they do? They stopped and prayed together. United. You know, when we consider even today in our local assemblies, when prayer meeting is called, let's be honest, this is some of the worst attended meetings that we have in the church. 
If you don't want no one to come, most of the time you call a prayer meeting. But we see at the beginning what happened. They devoted themselves to prayer. And like I said, if we want to be honest with ourselves, prayer is something that the majority of us, including myself, are honest with ourselves. We need to do a better job with. Not to mention prayer by ourselves. But we need to talk to ourselves about finding people to pray with. I think it was this past week when Pastor Brent sent a message out on Facebook to, to tell the congregation to, to reach out and just talk to people and just, you know, even pray with them. And I think that that is something that we all need to do. Because right now we are living in times when that is all that we can really do. It's call on the name of Jesus. Talk to people. And I know that right now, even as we think of this, some people will be making excuses. Well, you know, we have to be locked in and we have to do all these things. And let me just say this. Like I said, I, I like when I preach, I first of all preach myself and I will be honest. I have right now been going through a tough time of thinking of just how to go about life, what to do next. Because there are so many things that are going on and to find the motivation to do the next thing. Because we just are in that time where we don't know what's going on. But when we, as believers, right now we have an opportunity on Zoom and other different mediums that we can use, that we can get together and we can pray. We don't have to come up with an excuse that we can't do it now. You know, for me, I've been trying to do youth group over Zoom, and now we know that through the schools, they're going to be doing Zoom and different things. So there is no excuse sometimes for us. But I think that we look for every excuse. So I challenge you to look at ways that you can come together as a church to pray. As we think of unified prayer, I want us to look at this, that all join together constantly, unanimous. That means that all of them, there was no one there who was trying to do their own thing. And I think that that's what we need. We need to come together, we need to pray, and we need to be on the same page. Again, I'm all for praying alone. Secret prayer, quiet times, going in a special place to talk to God. We need that. And for most of us, that's what we do. We get together and we pray. But we need to pray. And true prayer begins as we cry out to God from the depths of our hearts. But you see, that's not the only kind of prayer that the Bible mentions. There's a time and place for God's people to come together unitedly and cry out to God. And too often it takes a major tragedy to bring the church to its knees. You see, we need not to wait for tragedy strikes. We need to be encouraged to one another. As we see, the Bible talks about all through Scripture, do life with one another, do this one another. There's all through Scripture, do things together. Why is united prayer so important? The answer is by praying together, we can encourage each other to seek the Lord. When one person gets weary, another can come through and pray and lift him up. We can keep each other on the same road of holiness by meeting together for prayer. As we think of this, let's make this personal and practical. Do you have anyone or a group of people that you pray with regularly? That you pray, and let me just say this. 
Because prayer has become a lot of things, even prayer meeting. Prayer meeting is not a time for us to discuss politics and sports. Prayer meeting is a time that we come together and we talk to God. And we cry out together to Him. But we've allowed prayer meeting to change into so many things. In fact, sometimes prayer meeting turned into a gossip time. But let us not get so caught up in those things, but let us really cry out to God and understand that we need to know and we need to find people that can keep us accountable and that we can pray. The second thing is harmonious. All join together constantly. And Luke uses a, a Greek saying here that we would be one. And the Greek basically means in one accord. And it's a musical term that means to strike the same notes together. And one, one of the things that I miss, you know, that we're not here together is the choir usually is here singing most times that I come. And I, I miss hearing them. And they're very on one accord. They're on one note. But let me just say this, that if I joined the choir and I started to sing, I would be off the note. I'd be off, to, off the tune. And let me tell you something, you would hear me above everyone else, and that's what happens when we're not in one accord. The one person we hear more than when people come together. You see, we don't want the wrong notes or the wrong pitch. We want to hear it on the right pitch. And we want everyone to be on the right notes. Because if one person is off, it's going to throw everybody off. And it's the same thing with the church. We are one body, and we need to be together, unified. We need to allow ourselves to say, you know what? Whatever it is, God, you want me to do at the church, whatever it is, we will do. You see, when people don't like each other, they can't pray together very long. Either you'll stop criticizing or you'll stop praying because you can't do both the same at the same time. You see, when you start praying with somebody, you get to know them better. You get into a relationship with them. You are crying out together and you realize that, hey, we have a lot in common because you know what? We are pursuing Christ together. And if I see that passion in you, I want to, I want to be a part of that. Also, we see in the, this, the third thing is this, continuous. All join together constantly. Our text said they prayed constantly. And when we consider, Darby uses the word continual. And I think that when we can think about this, it's continuous. It's, it's not just one meeting, it's always. As we start off, we saw how the businessman started by just one meeting, and it continued on, continued on, and continued on. You see, I think sometimes even as we consider what's going on around the world, even when we consider, you know, different events, it's about the event, not about what we can do afterwards. And you know, one thing even as I consider that, that story with, with those businessmen is this, is that I think sometimes we may do a good job of evangelism, and we may be, see people come to know Christ, but the question is how much discipleship happens afterwards? Do we really invest in those people? Do we come together alongside them and do life with them? Because that's what it's talking about, that we are continuously praying. We are constantly praying. That's what they, the early church, that's what the disciples were doing right now. They were constantly praying and asking for answers. And all who was with them. 
You see, what is important about this? Why stress on praying, you know, together continually? The answer is simple. Acts 1, 12 to 14 gives us a pattern for how the church should operate in every age. Noting that we should understand that we are to pursue Christ, that we are to come together and pray, that no plan should be made until we come together unified and pray about what it is God would have us to do. You see, when we understand that we have the Holy Spirit living in us, we don't have to worry about the physical Jesus just being beside us, but we have the Holy Spirit living in us. We do life every day with Him. We have a direct line with Christ. And I'm sure we've all remembered the old Verizon commercial. Can you hear me now? We don't have to worry about asking God, can you hear me now? Because we know he hears us. We know that he is with us. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We know that he hears everything that we are saying to him. And he knows our hearts. And this morning as we consider this, I want us to understand as we think about the Bahamas. You know, we say and we hear that word revival. If we want to see a revival happen in the bonds, we need to stop complaining about everything we see around us to other people. Instead, we need to go to the sovereign king that sits on the throne, who has granted us the privilege to come to him boldly. And not just on a personal level, but need to come to him on a unified level. You see, we all know what happened after this united prayer in the upper room. The greatest revival ever as the day of Pentecost, the church was born. And I think that that, would, that is just an example, and that's how we can look and say, hey, prayer still changes things today. It wasn't just something that they did then, but the church today needs to get back to the basics of praying together. The question is, are we ready for a revival? Then we must unite and pray to the one who sits on the throne. And we as believers are to bring hope to the dark world because the Spirit of God lives in us. That's the hope that we have. You know, as I close, you know, I want you to understand that we are living in different times right now. There are many people who are looking for answers. And there are many people who are even just hungry for food. But let's not forget there are people that are looking for the spiritual answers. There are people who are looking for what should I do in this life? As we know that the mental health is, is out of control now. There are many things that are going on around us. And people don't know where to turn. They don't know what to do next. Even for us as the church in the Bahamas, we don't know what we are to do next. So I would challenge us, challenge you as the Kirk, challenge the universal church in the Bahamas that we would come together and we would pray, that we would find a way to to join our voices together and pray on one accord. Because that's what we need to do. We need to pray for our nation together. 
just as the church started. We need to get back to the basics of devoting ourselves to prayer and the study of the Word of God. And I would challenge you, as, as we looked at last week, that we would truly, again, ask ourselves, how can we, what can we learn from these situations? What are you trying to teach me? And how and who can I find to pray together? Because that's what I need. I need to pray. I need to get together with a unified group of people and pray. Instead of just stop complaining about what's going on, but pray for our country. And pray for those around us who don't know Christ. Yes, the physical needs are great. But spiritually, we need to pray for revival in our country. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that is true. And Father, as we look at the disciples at the beginning, when you left them, Father, and we think of, um, Father, they could have done many things. And they could have said, well, we don't know what to do. But Father, we are thankful that they took the mantle and they took the baton. They did what you told them to do, to go into the world and preach the gospel. They devoted themselves to prayer. Father, I pray that we would be a people that would devote ourselves to prayer. That we'd be a people that pursue you with everything. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for sending your son to die for us so that we could have a relationship with you. And Father, I thank you for the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Father, as we think of the helper, Father, we know that without a helper in us, what type of person we would be. And we thank you for that grace. Apart from your grace, who would we be? And Father, I pray. I pray for our nation. Pray for, first of all, for the spiritual aspects. I pray for those who don't know you as personal say that you would help us to come alongside, to just be there and to show them the love of Christ. And Father, that they would come to know you. Father, that, it, it, that Father, we would, first of all, be the church, that we would come and pray together, unified. Father, I pray for our leaders. I pray that you would give them wisdom, that they would seek wisdom from you that they would just hear from you on Father what it is that we should do here in this country Father I pray for the sick for those who have contacted the virus we pray that you would touch them and heal them Father we, we pray that there are many around who may not even know they have the virus that you would touch them and heal them Father I pray that you would help us again to just continually lift these up. Father, even as we, we see numbers go up, and Father, we all may have different mindsets on things, but Father, I pray that we would trust in you and you alone. Father, I pray for the, the physical needs, Father, those who are hungry, those who are thirsty, Father. I pray that you would help us and, and that you would show us them and that we would be able to come alongside and help them as the church. As your word says that you have done for the least of these, you have done unto me. And Father, we know. We know the unrest that's going on. We know what we have seen. And Father, we pray for peace. And we know that peace only comes from you. Father, I pray that you would bring peace to this world, that we would truly find that peace, that we would trust in you. And Father, I pray 
that us as a church, that as we come to you boldly, that you would, again, give us answers on what we as the church should do. What should be our response? Father, I pray that you would help us, that you would guide us, that you would direct us. And Father, I just pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.